you have your Bible with you, I'd like you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. On God's clock, it's the last hour. And we know that because according to verse 18 of chapter 2, there are many antichrists around. Now, antichrists are those who are either in opposition to or in pretense of the true Christ. And John helps us recognize them. He tells us in verse 19, they go out from us. He tells us in verse 22, they deny that Jesus is the Christ. He tells us in verse 26, they are trying to lead us astray. And so the question is, in such a setting, how do we defend ourselves? With all of these deceiving voices, how do we discern what is true and what is false? What are we as Christians to do? And simply put, the answer is this, abide in Christ. The word abide appears five times in verses 24 to 27. Look at the end of verse 24. You also will abide in the Son and in the Father. The end of verse 27, you abide in Him. And even verse 28 begins, and now little children, abide in Him. Now to abide in Christ is probably a phrase you've heard a lot. But the question is, what does it mean? How do I, as a Christian, abide in Christ? Well, I think John is going to point out that truth to us in this passage. He's going to show us two key ingredients that we need if we're going to abide in Christ. And those two ingredients are, let the Word abide in you and let the Spirit teach you. First of all, let the Word abide in you. Notice verse 24. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. Now, what is it that we have heard from the beginning? Well, back in chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen, what we have handled concerning the word of life. What we have heard is the message about Christ. It's the gospel. It's the word of God. And John says, let it abide in you. Now, I hear people say, I'm into Jesus, but I'm not really into the Bible. I believe in Christ, but I don't necessarily believe in this book. They supposedly have a high view of Christ and a low view of Scripture. But you see, those two are interwoven. You can't accept Christ and reject His Word. Let me show you a verse. Look back at John chapter 12 and verse 48. John chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus is speaking, and he says, He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. You see, Jesus links them together, me and my sayings. And then notice the rest of the verse. The word I spoke is what will judge him on the last day. Jesus is linked to his words so closely that he says the word is what will act as your judge on the last day. Turn over a few pages to John chapter 15 
and verse 7. Jesus, again speaking, says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And that's what John is saying in our passage. Let the word abide in you. Now, what does it mean to abide? Well, there's a difference between being in something and abiding in something. If you're still in John chapter 15, this is where Jesus gives the familiar parable of the vine and the branches. And Jesus talks in verse 2 about a person who is in him but bears no fruit. And then in contrast, he says in verse 5, the one who abides in him bears much fruit. The word abide means to remain in, to dwell in, to possess. We say to a guest who comes into our house, make yourself at home. Now, we, they know that that's just a polite expression. We don't really mean take over the house and do whatever you want. We mean in the rooms that you've been given access to, move about freely and relax, but don't go in my bedrooms and stay out of my closets. But if we really meant that statement, we would say, possess this house as though it were your own. That's what it means to abide. John is saying, let the Word make itself at home in you. Let it possess you. Let it take over you. So he's talking about more than simply reading your Bible once in a while. He's talking about more than a cursory, superficial, mechanical transaction where you check off your list and say, I did my Bible reading today. He's saying, let the Word make itself at home in you. And not just in part of you. Not just in certain rooms. Not just in specified areas. Not just in your mind. Not just in your memory. Not just in your emotions. You know, some of us like to let the Word of God into our library or our study, but we don't want the Word of God in our den. Some of us like the prophetic passages in Scripture, but we really don't like the practical passages in Scripture. Some of us like the emotional verses, like Psalm 23 or 1 Corinthians 13, but we don't like the doctrinal verses. John says, let the Word of God abide in you. Let it possess you. Let it take over you. Let it move freely in you so that you are captivated and compelled by it so that you're left with no alternative but to respond to it, to submit to it, to obey it. And what is the result when I let the Word of God abide in me? We'll look again at verse 24. He says in the middle, If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. When the Word abides in you, you abide in God. When the Word is at home in you, you are at home in God. 
When the Word has free access in you, you have free access in God. Now that explains to me why there's often a great deal of difference between Christians. One Christian, even one who's very young in his faith, can be abundantly full of the character of Jesus Christ and manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, while another Christian, who may have been saved a very long time, is crusty and ugly in disposition and not manifesting very much fruit. What's the difference? One has the fullness of the Father and the Son. One has the Word abiding in Him. You see, if you obey little, you will experience little. And if you obey much, you will experience much. To the degree that you give yourself to understanding and obeying the Word of God, to that same degree, God will give Himself to you. You see, in this part of the Christian life, it's a reciprocal relationship. And since God gives us access to Him to the same degree that we give Him access to us, I think we can draw some simple deductions from that. You see, when we abide in the Son and in the Father, that means we make ourselves at home, we possess, we move about freely in God. And since God has no limits, deduction number one is, there is no limit to the degree that we can occupy Him if there is no limit to the degree that His Word occupies us. I hope you understand that. I can have all that Christ is if I let Him have all that I am. That's deduction number one. But you know, God will never give us more than we really want. God never forces blessings on us. So let me give you deduction number two. You'll only have as much as you're satisfied with. If you are satisfied to stand in the doorway, But if you are not satisfied until you reach the heart of God, you'll get there. Which leads me to deduction number three. We now have all of God's fullness that we really want. You see, I can't blame God if my life is not filled with the blessing and fullness the Scriptures seem to promise. I can't blame God if my life is not satisfying me as a Christian. I cannot blame God if my life is dull and lifeless and fruitless. It's not God's fault. I now have all that I really want. You see, the fault lies with me. Because I'm not yet willing for one reason or another to take from Him all that He's ready to give me out of the fullness of His being. I'm not ready to let His Word abide in me. I'm not ready to let His Word possess me and permeate me and be at home in every area 
of my life. And you know what? That's about the most absurd position that a Christian can take. Why? Look at verse 25. And this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. The message that we have heard from the beginning is a message of life. It contains God's promise of eternal life. That's where we found life. So it's absurd not to let that message abide in me. Let me put it in fanciful terms. If you said to me, Dan, I came across a kind of fountain of youth in a little patch of woods down near Puxico. All you have to do is get in this natural spring and you suddenly become younger. And I said to you, well, where is this spring? And you say, well, I don't really remember because I don't seem to find time to get over there. Well, that would be absurd. But how much more absurd is it to have the word of eternal life gathering dust on your bookshelf? And by the way, what is eternal life? We usually think of eternal life as a quantity of life. It is that. But the Bible emphasizes that it is a quality of life. Eternal life is to know God in the fullest way possible. Jesus defined it that way in John 17, 3. He said, And this is eternal life, that they may know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So how do I experience eternal life right now? I let the Word of God abide in me. Because when the Word of God abides in me, I abide in Christ. First ingredient to abiding in Christ is to let the Word abide in you. You say, but my problem is that I can't seem to understand the Bible. My problem is that it's dry. When I read it, it's just so many words. Well, that brings us to the second ingredient of abiding in Christ, and that is to let the Spirit teach you. You see, this is what makes the difference between dull, ineffective Bible study and compelling, fruitful Bible study. It's the Spirit of God who is opening up to me the Word of God. Look at verse 27. And as for you, the anointing, and when he talks about the anointing here, he's talking about the anointing of the Spirit of God within you. As for you, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it, as it has taught you, you abide in him. Now, there are several things from this verse that we could say about the Spirit's teaching. Number one, it's permanent. He says, it abides in you. You don't have to let the Spirit abide in you. The Spirit already abides in you. He has taken up residence in you. He did that at the point of your salvation. So for every believer, the Spirit abides in you, and it's permanent. Second, it's inward. He says, he is in you. 
So this teaching doesn't come from outside. It's not external, it's internal, and because it is, it's intensely personal. You're not getting it secondhand. Third, it's sufficient. Notice, he says, you have no need for anyone to teach you. Every Christian has the same anointing. You have the very same anointing as Billy Graham or whoever is your favorite Bible teacher. You have the same anointing. It's sufficient. Fourth, it's comprehensive. He says here, his anointing teaches you about what? All things. It's not just partial. It's not incomplete. It's comprehensive. And then fifthly, it's consistent. He says, it is true and is not a lie. There's no degree of falsehood in it. There's no inconsistencies. There are no contradictions. You say, wow, that's saying a lot. Does that mean that a Christian can never go astray in understanding the truth? No. Because the Bible also tells us that I can quench the Spirit, I can resist the Spirit, I can ignore the Spirit in my life. You say, does that mean we don't need any Bible teachers? Does that mean you shouldn't be up there today? No. Because the Bible clearly indicates that God works through human teachers. The Bible tells us God has given us the gift of teacher. John himself was a teacher. In fact, as he's writing this letter to us, he is teaching us. You say, well, then why does he say that we don't need anyone to teach us? Well, I think the answer lies in the level at which this inner teaching takes place. You see, there are three levels of understanding. There is physical understanding, there is mental understanding, and then there is spiritual understanding. And there are people at all different levels as you listen to me this morning. Some of you are simply hearing the words with your ear. If somebody asks you, you're going to say, I heard every word he said. That's physical. Some of you are actively processing these things mentally. That's mental understanding. You will say, I hear what you're saying. Some of you, I hope most of you, are experiencing a spiritual understanding. That's when you say, I hear what God is saying. Look at Matthew chapter 13 for an illustration of this. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 13. This is a passage where Jesus gives his reason for parables. In this chapter, he gives the parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. It's like a dragnet. And then he gives his reason for using parables in Matthew 13 and verse 13. He says, therefore... I speak to them in parables because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Now, I think that verse contains all three levels of, of understanding. He says, while seeing physically, they don't see mentally, 
While hearing physically, they don't hear mentally, nor do they understand, and that's the spiritual. And then if you slide down to verse 16, to the disciples, he says, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. He says, you see and hear mentally. Now notice, he doesn't say to the disciples, you understand, because they didn't yet understand. They were a step ahead of the crowd who was listening physically because they understood mentally, but they had yet to receive the Spirit of God, so he doesn't say you understand. Paul taught some great doctrinal truths in the first part of Ephesians chapter 1. And if you read those great truths, they're exciting. And you get down to verse 18, and he prays that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance, and the surpassing greatness of his power. See, Paul gives all this great truth with his great gift of apostle, and then he stops and prays that the Spirit of God would open your eyes to understand it. You see, Paul was able to open people's eyes and ears physically. He was able to open people's eyes and ears mentally, but he knew when it came to opening people's eyes and ears spiritually, that was the work of the Spirit of God. And that's why John says in our passage, you have no need for anyone to teach you because the Spirit of God has to do it. Now, he often works in concert with a human teacher who is communicating at the moment, but it's only the Spirit of God who can open your eyes to understand. Look at Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And the disciples say in verse 14, well, some people say you're John the Baptist, and some say Elijah, and some Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the prophets. In verse 15, he makes the question personal. He says, but who do you say that I am? And a light bulb goes on. And Peter says in verse 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And notice what Jesus says in verse 17. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You didn't learn this through flesh and blood. You didn't reason it out. You didn't amass all the evidence and come to a reasonable conclusion. My Father revealed it to you. You see, that is the anointing. And that is the ministry of the Spirit of God within us. Look at Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 describes two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus has died and they don't know yet that he's risen from the dead. And so they're troubled and they're disturbed. And Jesus comes alongside them. They don't recognize him. But verse 27 says, And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Now, these were scriptures these guys had read many times. 
But Jesus begins to explain these scriptures and show that these scriptures are speaking about him. And then in verse 31 it says, And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then in verse 32 they say, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? You see, that is a description of the anointing of the Spirit of God. You ever read a verse for the 101st time and a light bulb goes on and it comes alive and suddenly you see it with spiritual eyes? That's the ministry of the Spirit of God within us. See, when people come up to me and say that was a great message, I have learned long ago that that tells me more about you than it does about me. That tells me that you have a heart that's sensitive to the Spirit of God who is teaching you within. And when that happens, when you are taught not just physically with your senses, not just mentally with your mind, but spiritually by the Spirit of God, John says in 1 John 2, 27, last phrase, you abide in Him. So in this last hour, when there are so many false teachers around, John says to you and me, abide in Christ. And how do we do that? By letting the Word of God abide in us and by allowing the Spirit of God to teach us. Real simple. Real simple. We just need that attitude of submission to Him to allow it to happen. I've asked the praise team to come back and to help us at the close of this service to really focus our hearts on the Lord. And so they're going to give us an opportunity to worship and express our surrender to the Lord. And I want us to make this song the prayer of our hearts to the Lord today. I'm going to ask you to stand as they lead us in this chorus together.
cross is for you, for your glory and your fame. It's not about me, as if you should do things my way. You alone are God, and I surrender. Schooley to come forward. Are you in here, Bob? Okay. You bring your wife if you want to. I didn't really give an invitation this morning. I, it was more of an invitation for each of us to deal with our hearts before the Lord this morning. I ask you just to be seated so you can see Bob and Emily. Um, Bob was baptized this morning. They've actually both come to uh, sort of in a public way join our church this morning. So I'm going to ask them to go ahead and head out to the lobby and, and after the service be sure and uh, welcome them and encourage them today. Let's, let's pray together. Father, it amazes us that you not only have chosen to give your son to save us, but that you want to have a relationship with us. that you want us to abide in you, to be at home in you, to move freely in you, to possess you. And Father, we realize this morning from your word that the only thing that holds us back from that is our unwillingness to let you possess all of us. And so today, Lord, I pray 
that we might genuinely surrender ourselves to you, our loving Father, so that we might truly experience all that you desire to bless us with. In Jesus' name, amen.